Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. The Great Filter. Cheat Code. Written by N.P. Marley. Gregory Stain watched as his contact for the project, one Zerid Drayton, disembarked from his transport ship onto the orbital platform that he'd been transferred to for the duration of the project. Zara Drayton was a member of the Kawarian, a race known for their fascination with things that had happened in the past and whose talent for deciphering past events had produced some of the most celebrated historians in the galaxy. Some of the ascribed powers at piecing together the past to the mystical or psychic abilities, but the Kawarian fervently denied this. The Kawarians were a strange, short, and spindly race that rarely topped four feet tall with long, dexterous fingers and soft yet bristly green-brown fur across their backs and the backs of their limbs. Frankly, Gregory thought that they looked like someone had taken half a shaved Ewok and stretched them out like silly putty. Zarid had dressed in a traditional and practical Brickwarian exploratory garb, almost like he expected to dive straight into the active dig site. As far as Gregory knew, he might. Or maybe he just dressed like this every day. Gregory shook Zarid's hand, half fearing that he might break the Kawarian's delicate fingers with a firm grip. He tried to act professionally. Welcome to Space Station Prometheus. I hope your journey was comfortable. It was, Zarid spoke, and Gregory was mildly surprised that the Kawarian wasn't using a translator. He'd heard about diplomatic-grade language learning tools that could impact fluency in under a month, but hadn't come across them personally. I am eager to begin primary work immediately in figuring out how your species solved the first of the three great filters. Gregory nodded in response and let his mind wander as a bit of Zarid talked about things he already knew. Humanity had bonded the concept of the Great Filter for a while starting in the late 20th century, wondering what was behind the seeming absence of intelligent life in the galaxy and eventually concluding that there had to be something preventing possible intelligent species from communicating with humanity. But what... What had been the reason for the galaxy's seeming silence? As it turned out, the main reason was humanity hadn't yet figured out how to speak and listen to the rest of the galaxy. Radio waves just didn't cut it for talking to civilizations that are cracked faster than light travel and communications. But humanity had the right that they were a developmental filters that stimmied and hindered sapient species from reaching the stars. What humanity hadn't realized at the time that they were pondering this was that they'd already overcome all of them. Faster than light travel and or communication was, surprisingly, not considered one of the three great filters. Apparently, less than 1% of all known space-faring sapiens in the galaxy had reached a point where they could be reasonably judged to be unwilling or incapable of developing such a technology in the future. 
The third and last great builder, according to the galaxy at large, was actually as species escaping their home planet's gravity well. According to official galactic records, this problem was stumped over 10% of all industrialized sapient species who never quite solved the problem and gave up on it as some other species saw fit to uplift or enslave them. As far as the galaxy was concerned, humanity had passed the filter with flying colors back when they had landed a man on the moon in the 1960s. Once the gravity well could be cleared then with repeated efficiency, it was considered only a matter of time before the sapient race developed either faster-than-light travel or faster-than-light communications. Assuming, of course, that they didn't collapse due to war, natural disaster, etc., of which there was an officially recognized 1% chance of happening at any given point in a culture's development. Heck, According to the definition of the galaxies subscribed to, there were plenty of Earth cultures that had collapsed this way over the centuries. So long as collapse wasn't goable, the species could pick up and move on. The second great filter was considered to the Industrial Revolution, where a sapient species learned to automate production. This was considered essential because it freed up a large swaths of a species' population from menial labor tasks to engage in more advanced pursuits. It was estimated that little over 25% of all known civilized sapiens in the galaxy, most older than humanity, had never passed this barrier in the development with many showing no cultural inclination to even try. The first great filter, and the one that Zerad had to research about in regards to humanity, was considered agriculture. As far as the rest of the galaxy could tell, the problems with creating a steady, self-regulated food supply were so great that roughly 50% of all known sapient species were unable to manage it to the point that they could create a stable civilization. There were some extensively researched galactic checklists at what exactly constituted a stable civilization, but Gregory wasn't well-versed in it enough to hold more than a casual conversation. There were some time qualifiers, but most of it revolved around the stability, quality, and dependability of their food supply. Essentially, pretty much every race hoping to make their permanent non-mobile home for itself had to master agriculture at some point, and the exceptions were such bizarre outliers that they only proved the rule all the more such as one planet where a particular plant had evolved early on that grew so aggressively that it choked out all other plant life, and all resulting animal life evolved to feed on it, including the local sapiens, some six-limbed blue cow things whose name Gregory couldn't pronounce. It was such a prevalent and plentiful foodstuff that even a diet of local predators consisted mostly of plant. Its official name by the locals essentially translated to food, and Gregory had seen a time-lapse recordings of a space station's greenhouse where some human xenobiologists had planted a sample of the stuff and the kudzu in the same area, and it went wild experience watching the two plants try and wrestle each other into submission. It was too bad the blue cows had never progressed their culture beyond the basics of civilization, likely due to there being no pressing need to secure long-term food sources, much less advanced technology. Their culture had been stagnated at this level since before humanity evolved, according to the galactic records, and showed no signs of progressing. 
The other big exception was the only known race of sapient light evolves in the galaxy. The name for themselves sounded like the start of a landslide in their own language, who had a reasonably steady food supply so long as they lived near a very active volcano or partook in a high-tech mineral synthesizers. The only reason that they were spacefaring was because some jerkwad race whose name Gregory couldn't recall at the moment decided that they'd make good cheap slave labor and kidnap the whole species from their primitive Stone Age huts. Gregory shook his head from his musings and started listening to Zarid again. As you know, nearly all species that master agriculture also master the domestication of native beasts either as a supplementary labor or as a food source. Most often, both. Gregory nodded along as Zared went into statistics. He knew the numbers. More than 95% of all civilized sapiens had domesticated one or more native animals, either something like horses as work animals and or something like cows, pigs, and or chickens as livestock. He did have some sympathy for the races that evolved from pure carnivores, as domesticating something whose first instinct was to get as far away from you as possible, and whose second instinct was to break whatever was necessary, like your face, to achieve the first had a painful proposition. Funnily enough, domesticating animals for companionship was considered rare, at least until the industrialization took a hold and some domesticated work animals, and occasionally livestock, made the transition as a sapient population started using machines to facilitate agriculture. Only around 15% of civilized sapiens domesticated a species for companionship, and so far, and every known original instance happened prior to the practice of agriculture. Dogs apparently had gotten a little more raised eyebrow from the galactic community before they added humans to that particular 15% club. The issue with mastering agricultural are many, the first of which is successfully driving away predators. Yeah, if you kept livestock, you drove away predators so they wouldn't eat your livestock. If you kept work animals, you drove away predators so they wouldn't eat your work animals. If you hadn't evolved as an apex predator yourself, you drove away predators so they wouldn't eat you. No matter the case, early agriculture to the local predators was their food source gathering in one spot and not moving, making it really easy to find, making convincing said local predators to stay the freck away priority number one. All of which inevitably leads to the source of the remaining problems, no gold pests. And that was Catch-22 of agriculture in general. Once you'd driven out the other predators, all the other animals would pick up the fact that there was a strange predator-free area. Driving away the larger animals wouldn't be harder to do than driving away predators. But the smaller animals, the ones that were hard to catch, could hide in places a larger sapient race couldn't reach ate voraciously and bred like crazy when left to their own devices. Those animals were the bane of most any farmer. The rare, mainly carnivorous species who only farmed livestock got a relatively big pass in this problem at the cost of a much lower population ceiling due to the fact that keeping a steady supply of meat was much harder than a steady supply of produce of the same volume. But they were again the exception that proved the rule. 
Their rule being that pests like rats and rabbits would seek refuge from predators on farms where the food was plentiful and breed out of control, eating the crops like no tomorrow and turning harvests, or worse, carrying parasites with debilitating diseases that would infect the populations of those farming communities. Try to store food to eat in times when food would be scarce, they'd break in one way or another and either eat it, contaminate it, or both before those that grew the food could use it themselves. Simply driving them away was temporary at best and completely ineffective at worst, as the siren song of a predator-free territory with plentiful food was too strong for such creatures to ignore. The general solution of the galaxy boiled down to two options. Either develop methods of preventing such pests from reaching the crops, which could take an inordinately long time to pull off reliably and slow the development of a civilization as a result. Or develop effective extermination methods, which, in addition to being very difficult to apply to creatures that had evolved to be hard to exterminate, also invariably had unexpected long-term detriments to the local biosphere if successful. There was a rare third option in the cases disease and contamination was the primary obstacle of developing effective treatments for the resulting illness, but that was only a serious solution to the pest problem for less than 10% of nerd sapiens. Regardless, the fact was that humanity had had done none of these things. Properly seeding the environment against pests was still something humanity had trouble doing even with modern technology, and arguably less success with effective extermination procedures, and neither were from any lack of trying. As for the disease option, humanity hadn't made significant headway against disease until well after achieving stable civilizations according to the galactic definitions. It had gotten the galactic academic community into quite a stir wondering just what the hell humanity had done to solve what was considered one of the toughest problems a developing sapient species could face. It was why Gregory had been assigned to Zerod's liaison. He was one of the leading anthropological experts in the era of human history and considered the best local expert to help Zerod in his own research in the matter. Zerard had been one of the best and brightest of a race of natural historians, but didn't have the locals' perspective, and often that perspective made all the difference. Of course, outside perspectives were also important, as they were very real chance of whatever oddity had given humans an edge was something that humanity considered normal, despite being anything but... There were about a dozen other galactic historians, archaeologists, and anthropologists from the many other races that would trickle in anywhere from a week to a month after Zerad arrived. But the little Kawarian was apparently so eager to get started that he petitioned to arrive earlier than any of his other compatriots. So eager, in fact, that he wanted to get started looking over the preliminary historical studies before even getting settled in. Gregory helped him clarify unfamiliar terminology that speed-learning a language often overlooked, but even working through dinner, they ate, they just didn't see fit to stop to do so, hadn't yielded any insight as to what exactly humanity had done to bypass the pest problem. As far as Gregory could tell, all research looked at the afternoon and evening had only served to highlight how unusual the whole thing was and that humanity had progressed from early agricultural to stable civilization much faster than the galactic average. Almost unnaturally fast in comparison, in fact, 
The speed at which humanity started agriculture to when they achieved reliable spaceflight was rapid enough to easily put them at the top 1% of technological advancements as a species, and all of it was attributed to how quickly they mastered agriculture. Humans were officially wrecking the bell curve of the first great filter, and Zarid seemed excited enough to pop over the chance to find out how. Gregory just sighed as he entered his quarters and plopped on his couch, alerting his cat Socks to his presence. The demanding calico immediately jumped up and demanded ear scritches, and he obliged her, settling into the comfort of her presence and the sound of her purrs as he distressed her from dealing with the hyperactive researcher all evening. Scratching Socks behind the ear reminded him of when he'd done his dissertation on the origins of why cats were considered magical. A large portion of the paper had focused on the Black Plague and the fact that those who failed to get sick were often accused of witchcraft. The fact that many of them owned cats and cats labeled as witches, familiars, and branded as beasts of the devil in reality. All they did was, uh... Gregory's eyes opened wide and Socks mewed in protest against the aborted ear screeches. She protested more as he dove to his quarters communicator. Zared blinked awake as his quarters communication device toned, demanding his attention. He dropped off in a haze of eager excitement almost as soon as he'd hit the mattress and the early awakening was very unexpected. Shaking himself to something resembling coherence, he hit the button and answered the communicator. Yes, it's cats, the voice of the liaison of Gregory announced breathlessly, confusing him greatly. What is cats? Is this the silent green joke you humans seem so fond of? No, the answer, it's cats. The answer, the answer to... Zerard trailed off as his brain finally engaged enough to answer his own question for him. Perhaps there was definitely one highly likely possibility in any event. Still, he seemed to be missing a great deal of pieces for this particular puzzle to understand why this was the answer. You mean you humans, second pack-bonded domestic companions... Multiple pack-bonded domesticated companion species were unusual, but not unheard of, and Zerard didn't think the galactic community had given it too much thought beyond scheduling some standard future study opportunities. What do they have to do with the first great filter? Everything! That's when they were first domesticated, and they're not pack animals. They're not pack animals, but... uh, all known companionship domesticated bonds are with natural pack or herd animals, and I am under the impression that cats were carnivores by nature. They are, but they don't hunt in packs. They're naturally solitary. The conundrum from the statement alone had Zerard sitting up alert. Solitary animals were notoriously difficult to domesticate, as they lacked the bonding instincts early sapiens could exploit to make domestication possible. The great filter issue moved to the back of his mind as he latched onto the new conundrum. Solitary? But then how did you domesticate them? We didn't. They domesticated themselves. They, uh... Zared's mind screeched to a halt. There were many studies that indicated that sapient species underwent a form of genetic domestication as their civilizations progressed, but a non-sapient species that self-domesticated... The very idea was so outlandish that he found himself giving a serious credence to only because it had been proposed by a colleague. How certain are you of this? 80 to 90 percent. We don't exactly have records of how it happened, Gregory stated, and Zerard hummed out of an affirmation. 
recorded history that early in a species development was beyond unusual. But a bunch of other facts line up. For one, the earliest archaeological records of cats and humans living together aren't until after agriculture. Really? Zerod's interest was officially piqued. Pack-bonded domestic companions had so far always predated agriculture as a form of uncommon social symbiosis against a hostile biosphere. But that humans did so after agriculture began, and when they already had a pack-bonded domestic animal companions in the form of dogs. Thus, cats are several times more likely to readapt to the wild than they are any other domestic animal if released. Zerad had grabbed the tablet and was furiously writing notes down at this point and made sure to add this. It was an unfortunate fact of domestic companion animals that not all sapient caretakers were able to care for them properly, and all too many wolves would rather abandon the animal than admit the personal shortcomings. That cats were able to handle this was less of an issue suggested, an incomplete domestication. Was such a thing even possible after such a long time? Or was it a trait of the domestic feline solitary hunter-based instincts? Now, Gregory was rambling on about some old plague and how cats were considered magical because cat owners were exponentially less likely to contract the disease. This required clarification. Do you honestly expect me to believe that your domestic feline has healing properties? No, not at all. The plague was carried by rats. What are your local pest animals? I failed to see the relevant... Cats eat rats. Oh, oh, now the pieces were falling into place. The felines were natural predators of the pest animals. Any human who kept one or more nearby would suffer less pest presence overall. But how did that equate to the domestication? What event would have drawn two species close enough to... Uh... Oh... Are you saying that when your local pest animals started infesting your early farmlands, one of the natural predators followed them? Yes. And your ancestors allowed this. Cats weren't even a threat to us. Well, not a serious one. It's a predator. A small one. Too small to be a real threat to us. Heck, my cat's probably too small to be a serious threat to you. Zerod choked, and he wasn't sure from what. Are you saying your domestic beasts could not harm me at all? Harm? Sure, if she felt threatened, but you wouldn't need anything more than sutures at worst. The likelihood socks could actually inflict serious harm is minuscule, and I doubt you'd inclined to try. Zarad closed his eyes as he pondered the scenario he was being given, a place where larger beasts had been driven out and now grew plentiful plant-based foods, attracting many smaller animals to where they thought predators would not follow and they could eat their fill. A smaller predator, seeing this and weighing the potential benefits of following its prey into a territory of sapient species and its pack-bonded domesticated companions, a larger predator no less, in order to hunt to its heart's content. A creature that felt more threatened by the sapiens and their domesticated companions than they could ever be threatened by it. Such a creature would have to be extremely adapted to not just hunting in its now plentiful prey, but evading larger predators in order to feel confident in braving such a place, or extremely foolhardy. Zarad wondered which these cats fell into, but he could see it, could the contemplation of an early human farmer's face as he realized this new intruder was killing off the pests that ruined his harvests? 
could see the farmer training his dog to ignore the presence of the cat unless it tried to pester its livestock, could see the cat coming to understand just which animals it was permitted to hunt freely in the strange territory, even as the farmer and their neighbors began taking steps to entice more cats to enter their territory. What the pest animals sought, a predator-free sanctuary of boundless food, the cat was freely given, and in doing so, the pest's desired sanctuary vanished. As far as the first great filter went, it was a solution as unorthodox as it was elegant. It is a fine theory, of course, but how confirmed is it? Zared finally asked. Unfortunately, educated speculation only. Lots of educated speculation, of course, but... Uh, but the galactic standards require more in-depth research, Zarat finished. It seemed that humanity was not wholly ignorant of the potential benefit this one domestic bond held, only of its scale. They had seen it as a historical curiosity, when it was possibly one of the most tree-shattering discoveries of all time. If this research confirmed what he thought it would, these cats may have shaved centuries, perhaps even millennia, off the human cultural and technological development. And if that was true, if that were true, his name on the research findings would secure him a mortality amongst the academic circles. He was so excited, he barely managed to go through the social niceties of ending the conversation before dropping back off to sleep. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.